This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It is almost that time of year once again. If you're a college basketball, college football play-by-play voice, your season is coming just around the corner. If you're a baseball guy, had somebody text me this week say, hey, there's 40 games left in the season minor league baseball, which is crazy. And I'm sitting here voicing this while Donald Trump is speaking on my television. So we are in full political uh, swing as well. It's going to be a crazy couple of months. Baseball's coming down the home stretch. Football's starting up. If you're a politics guy, I like politics. I like to stay up on current events. Uh, keeps you well-rounded a little bit. You stay up late a lot this week and next week. But uh, there's a lot going on. A lot going on. Busy time of year. Uh, so we're glad that you could take a 30, 45 minutes of your time and join us here on Play-By-Play Cast uh, once again this week. My name is Joel Godet, and tremendous guest here today. It's Dave Lamont, our first guest from ESPN here on the podcast. And Dave has been with ESPN for, oh gosh, more than a decade now, I think, and has done, started out as a sideline reporter, has done college football, college basketball, play-by-play for years now with them. Uh, we met a couple of years ago when he did a Ball State football game I believe it was definitely at home. I believe it was against Northern Illinois. I think Desmond Howard uh, was in the booth with him as well that night. Uh, But Dave and I met that night and uh, have stayed in touch on and off. And uh, he was kind enough to hop on the podcast here uh, with us this week. Dave's an interesting guy because his career path, as is really the case with almost everybody in this industry, is not replicable. (laughs) you, You cannot recreate it. Dave has taken a lot of different steps, a lot of different twists, turns, some of them non-sports related, to get to where he is. And along the way, has been the voice of the Florida Atlantic football team, has been the voice of the Miami Hurricanes, uh, has been on television with the Miami Heat and the Florida Marlins and Sun Sports, has been a news and political uh, talk show host, an update guy, has been a reporter has been a sports reporter, has done all of these different things to create this well-rounded career and base that has gotten him to what he is and where uh, where he is now. So Dave Lamont is our guest here on Play-By-Play Cast. And Dave, with that all as the foundation, uh, first off, thanks for coming on. But uh, second of all, take us on that winding road. Uh, Give us the the Cliff Notes version, or I guess the expanded version of, of the Cliff Notes we just gave, of uh, the path that your career has taken you? Uh, I started in college, actually, with internships. And um, I was at the University of Florida for one year, had a job offer to come back to South Florida, so I took that and actually spent a year in the research department of a rock and roll radio station doing a little bit of sports on the weekends, but not very much. That you know evolved into a, one or two other quick jobs where I didn't last very long for various reasons, and Became a sports director when I was still in college of an AM station. Did that for a couple of years. And then I was actually out of broadcasting uh, for seven years. And I was uh, at full time anyway. And I, I was announcer at Dania Highline. 
just to, to, to keep my housing chops. I needed money, of course. I was living on my own for the first time, and that was uh, that job kept me going, and I started to dabble on radio again. And at one point, I was doing one sportcast a day on tape for 8 bucks. I would drive in, do it, and then go to Highlight it to do my regular job. But that job led to a full-time opportunity. And from there, you know, it was all radio work until I auditioned for the uh, Miami Heat TV and Florida Marlins TV in 1993, got the heat job. And did that for seven years. And that at the same time, I was with the University of Miami doing a radio cast, either as an analyst or as the play-by-play guy, for four years. And then in the late 90s, that went dark. I lost both those jobs in the same week. Uh, the, the Heat wanted to make a change in my position and did. And then the uh, Hurricanes switched radio stations, and there was another change made there. And all of a sudden, I was just back to reading sports copy for a couple of years. Um, then I signed on, you know, I did as much freelance as I could and signed on with Florida Atlantic because I knew Howard Schellenberger and that started that. And then in 2004, I took, I sent some TV stuff up to ABC and then, uh, they hired me to, uh, to start on the sidelines. And the next year I was doing play by play. And that's where it's been ever since I left FAU because I could not commit to them full time. That was impossible. And that's where it's been ever since. I want to go back and break that down a little bit. Um, when you, yes, it, did, it's a long road, and I left a few things out, too. <laughs> how, how did you go from reading copy for $8 a, a cast to basically winding up as part of the, the talent on the Heat and Marlins broadcasts and, and really winding up well, in a pretty great spot? It was 1988, and the Olympics came along, and it was an all-news station. And then that used to be, a, at that time, all-news stations were not like they are now. There's almost no such thing as a true 24-hour news radio station that's local anymore. True. But back then, they were popular. I mean, you had, you know, reporters and cars with the station plastered all over it. And you, I mean, you covered the news like a, like a CNN TV or a Fox TV does today, uh, only without the opinions that are thrown in today. It was, it was regular news coverage. So they needed more sports. And so I went from the $8 a day into a full-time opportunity, you know, an eight-hour shift in the afternoons doing sports. And I had always wanted to dabble in television. And actually, I left out, believe it or not, an almost Wayne's World-like local cable access show that I did that was based around high school sports. But we also would bring in occasionally some guests. And my co-host was a guy who wound up going to jail for securities fraud. Um, and actually, who I invested money with, but he didn't rip me off. <laughs> so I took good to him that. On the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I must have been. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that, that was my true TV debut. And then from there, when I heard about the opportunity for uh, what was then called Sunshine Network, which is now Fox Sports Florida and Fox Sports Sun, um, I got a hold of a couple of people that I knew and said, look, can I at least audition? I sent them some stuff. They said, yeah, come on. Let's, let's see what we can do for you. And it worked out. Um, those four years taught me everything I needed to know. And I really grew in that period because I had a, a new a bosses who would let me do anything I wanted to do. And so I would go anywhere. I would live report. And don't forget, we have golf tournaments in March and we had tennis in March and we had, you know, the, the area was booming. So I would go everywhere and do all my reports from the scene. I would never, you know, I would be gone from the station for three weeks. I wouldn't even see me except when I pick up my paycheck. Those are things that I don't know if people can do very much of that today. Uh, you know, because of so many restrictions, because so much of sports is just talk not really reporting. Um, I learned how to report. I, w- I don't think I was a terribly good sports talk host 
but I was a very, very good sports talk reporter. You're bouncing around. You've got so many different things. I mean, you said you lost two jobs in the same week. How do you, how do you keep yourself going and saying, this is, this is how I'm going to plot this out. This is where I'm going. And this kind of have a grasp on your career at all times. And, and are there well, times where that was difficult? Yeah, that was difficult. And to add to the, to the, the two jobs in one week, in that same one-week, 10-day period, my second son was born. I'd just come back from the College World Series in 1999 where Miami had won the title. So I had that tremendous high. I got to call it. And I'm thinking, boy, this is And I'm, I'm a University of Miami alumnus where I wound up going to you know, finishing college. And I thought, this, I, I can do this job for 40 years. I mean, I'll die on the air and I'll be great. I'll be happy. And when that didn't happen, it was a psychological blow and a financial one, too. I lost a lot of money because the radio station had hired me to do all these other jobs, and I wasn't doing them anymore, so they're not going to pay me that kind of cash. So I started to – I just took everything I could get my hands on. I did a local golf show that uh, about youth golfers. I did, you know, whatever scrambling literally I could get my hands on to, on the air. If somebody needed something, I would do it. And I, and I, I had started that philosophy in radio when I was younger, I would do, you know, all these different radio networks and I would get paid five bucks for a cut of audio or 10, you know, and if you had a great night, like a Monday night football game, you might make an additional $25 and at 22, 23 years old at that time, that was a, a lot of money that, you know, that allowed me to pay my cable TV bill. So yeah, there were definitely some lean times. And the reason I kept going and I did have a couple of moments where I thought about walking is because it's what I've always wanted to do. And I never thought about doing anything else. And I just thought, well, I'm good enough. And I didn't have an agent at the time. So I was doing all this on my own that I didn't really think I should quit just yet. And I didn't know what else to do. If I thought if I had a, another job or another passion or another profession to fall back on, or then I might've done that. That would have been the perfect time. Um, in 1999 because Lord knows the opportunity was there to quit. Um, but I, you know, realized that this football program is starting. I had a relationship with coach Tallenberger from when I was a student and he was the coach. And I thought, well, maybe I can get back in that way and, and take it from there. Flip side of that. How much better did it make you having to, I hate the word networking, but essentially network your way into all of these different things. I don't know if it made me better as a broadcaster. Um, it, it, it frustrated me at times um, more than anything else. And again, not being a good negotiator or schmoozer type of person, um, it's it's not easy for me. Even though I, it really isn't easy for me to pick up a phone and ask for something. If I can jump from that, because I'm also I'm a terrible yeah. I'm a terrible schmoozer as well. Um, how do you do it? Realize that if you don't do it, no one else will. Again, I didn't have an agent, and Lord knows I couldn't have afforded one at the time. Hell, the one I have now, I can barely afford. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, who else is going to do it? Yeah. Maybe somebody will call you and say, hey, I hear about something. And occasionally you might get a call. But you can't, you know, the idea of sitting around and waiting for that, I learned over the years, that's a huge mistake. You can't count on them coming to you. You've got to force yourself on them. And when I speak to, at, at high schools and I, you know, I lecture and, and, at uh, seminars and things, I tell people, get used to no. You're going to hear the word no all the time. And for, you know, 35 no's, there's, there might be a yes in there. And that yes is going to be the thing that will get you launched in your career or will change your career. And that's, that's, that's what you have to do. Unless you are very well connected in the business 
as some people are, and that does help launch their careers, and it's very understandable. If I have those kind of connections, I sure as hell use them too. Then, great, use them. But I didn't really have that. And I had a couple of auditions for things that didn't work out. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, it did work out. But yeah, you have to take charge whether you like it or not. Let's talk about some of those yeses. Uh, the, the, the TV stuff when you got into it, um, when you said you just sent your stuff and you got an audition for the the hosting for the Heat and for the Marlins, and uh, how did that kind of walk me on the process of how that came about and then what that did for you career-wise? Well, I, I don't remember exactly who told me to check into it. Um, a couple of people that I know said, hey, you know, this is happening. They're, they're switching uh, providers. They're going off of uh, what was then – at that time, we had Fox and we had Sunshine. So there were two, at that point, they hadn't merged. So it was it was changing over, and they were looking for a host which they had never had before. And I thought, well, I can handle this. I'm going to he's almost every home game as a reporter, so I know the team. I know the NBA reasonably well at the time, and I think you know I can perform on television. And I'm pretty sure I sent them the cable access stuff, and they I don't think they were doing a nation. We're probably looking in state. And I do have a lot of on-air experience from radio. And I so they called me. Yeah, what you look, my then girlfriend, now my wife and I are going to be in Chicago taking a quick vacation. You guys are going to be at Wrigley Field. Why don't I meet you? And so the, the main boss happened to be the, the Marlins at the time. We met at a parking lot outside and set up an auction date. And uh, I auditioned, I believe it was at a Marlins game. And uh, they took that audition and because it wasn't NBA season and they didn't have the NBA at the time. And that's how I got that job. How about the ESPN stuff as well? Was that just you reaching out and sending your stuff and a pound in the pavement? No, that was an example of knowing somebody knows somebody. And the FAU wasn't exactly paying a lot of bills. It has always been a low-paying job, but it was fun. And I was doing play-by-play, which is always my thing and my goal. Um, I was also doing some work for Sunshine, uh, freelancing and doing reports on a couple of TV shows, and I was involved in a report about uh, a show about the Miami Dolphins. And I was sort of, uh, I was a reporter guy. I would host the live press conferences on Mondays. I uh, would do some reports for a show, and the producer of that says, hey, I like your work. Um, I know a guy at ABC. I used to work on Monday Night Football. I think you could go network. Why don't you send this to him? I'll tell him that it's coming. So as fast as humanly possible, I got uh, a few minutes of, of DVD or might have been a, probably a cassette. I don't even remember. Sent up to him. But the difference is I'm sure that guy was getting stuff every day from wannabes like me. The difference is I had somebody in his ear going, hey, I like this guy. Look at him. So I from the corner of his office to his desk, and then into his VCR or DVD player. This is late, early 2000s, so we're probably transitioning out of his cars. And that made all the difference in the world. If I just blindly send him something, I might have a shot. But I know he's going to look at it if this guy tells him to. And so that was a huge, huge difference. How'd you go from sideline to play-by-play with... uh... The mothership. Uh, you know, that was something that I told them I wanted. But I love, let me tell you, when I started in 2004, I think I did about three games. I was not, you know, in the heavy rotation. And that was only for ABC. 
the cha- the takeover with ESPN had not happened yet. So I was just an ABC guy. So they didn't have the kind of schedule that you're used to seeing now. So um, 2005, you know, I had spoken to them. I'd gone up to New York and visited with a guy and mentioned, he says, yeah, we'll probably give you some opportunities. And sure enough, I got a game the first week of the season. But at that, those year or two for ABC was very sporadic. I might get five or six games in a year. I wasn't getting a bowl game. I certainly wasn't getting any practice, but they weren't, you know, sucky games either. And then when ESPN took over, it was almost like re-auditioning because now I was working for new bosses. Um, you know, my guy, uh, Bob, had sort of transitioned out, and he's still with the company, but in a completely different aspect. He's still in New York. And it was it was really a little scary there for a couple of years because – Oh, again, I wasn't working a full schedule, and I felt like every minute I was on the air was an audition. Play-by-play was always the goal for you? Yes. Yeah, even as a kid. Um, that was always the thing I liked and still do more than anything else. I, I, I almost consider it noble if that's possible. Um, and nothing against anything else to do with the business, but since I never played the game at any kind of level that would make me a good analyst, um, I just always grew up admiring the great play-by-play guys. How did uh, all of the different stops that you made kind of shape you as a play-by-play guy as well? I mean, you mentioned you were a good reporter and you learned how to report. Does that apply now? Is that applicable now, the talk show hosting? is All the things that you've done that kind of characterize your career that maybe sometimes you don't get exposed to if you just hone in and say, I'm going to be a play-by-play, a play-by-play guy only, and that's my one true goal. Yeah, I think it is helpful. I think learning how to be a reporter is helpful, and it's not that much of it anymore because of the nature of, of – media and and the, and the slow death of newspapers and, and, and the speed that's required to survive now in an age of social media, um, you know, and, and the equipment so much better. I remember reporting on Bob Greasy's, that's how old I am, Bob Greasy's retirement press conference. I left the press conference. I didn't have a, a mobile phone at the time. I drove to a retirement home and used their pay phone to call in the report. That is, uh, that is absolutely true. Um, so, yeah, you learn, um, you, you learn judgment. You learn how to think on the fly, which is the most important part of being a play-by-play announcer. Uh, you learn how to ask questions. You learn how to interview people. You learn how, you know, when to keep a story quiet and when to, you know, when, when to use somebody for information in a, in a quiet way and, and, and how to build relationships with people so you don't mess them up and so they trust you again. And that definitely comes into play as you're preparing for a game if coaches give you information that is not supposed to be relieved right away, you have to honor that uh, and, and work out a relationship with that coach. So when you see him again, he can trust you. So you learn all that as a reporter. Uh, absolutely. And you learn how to interview because you are interviewing people, whether you're on or off camera. Um, those skills go with it being a play-by-play guy. You've really never left South Florida in some respects professionally as well. Obviously, you're, you're a ton of network stuff, but uh, how how did that kind of come to be? And from day one, you know, why didn't you say to yourself, hey, I want to be a play-by-play guy. I'm going to go to Pocatello and call A-ball minor league baseball as opposed to saying I'm going to stay in Miami and work my way up. And then, I mean, you've had your hands in almost every major sports franchise down there. You know, it's funny. I, we were just doing a part on a radio show that I guessed on about regrets. And I said, you know, I kind of wish I had done the beginning of my career differently and done exactly what you talked about. Interesting. But in my time, 
that information wasn't readily available. You know, today there are websites, there are agencies that can help you with that, to get that information out. Um, you know, back then you would have to find an industry paper and go through the classifieds and see if, you know, San Luis Obispo was looking for a play-by-play guy. And I, I do wish I had been more adventurous in my 20s. Uh, I was a little bit too much of a homebody. And how that would have impacted things, I don't know. Maybe it would have, you know, I would have gone out at 24 years old to some town I would have never thought of going and hated life and quit broadcasting. Um, there's no way of knowing. Um, but I just, you know, I didn't have any compelling reasons to stay home, no family reasons or anything like that. I didn't get married till I was 35. So probably just laziness. Uh, and, and an unwillingness to, to leave, even though there weren't that many, there were no play-by-play opportunities at the time when I started out, because every job, the few jobs there were at that time, were, were locked down. I mean, is there a compelling reason to do what you did, though? Because if you go to Pocatello, you probably don't wind up as the host for the Marlins for the Heat, get yourself in that avenue, and then explode from there. Well, when I started out, there was no way, I mean, when I, look, I am this old. When I started, the only two professional teams in town were the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, who are I work for now, but this is like their third, you know, coming. <laughs> and the Dolphins. You know, the ABA was gone. We had the Miami Floridians for a couple of years. That's gone. There was no NBA. There was no NHL. There was no Major League Baseball. And there wasn't a lot of talk when I in my career as it began that this was going to be a four-sports pro town. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody. So you don't think to yourself, if I just sit around here, this is going to be a market where, you know, one night I'll be at an NBA game, the next day I'll be uh, at an NHL game, and then on Sunday I'll go out to Doral and interview the winner and all these other things. You just didn't do that kind of thing. We had spring training all over the map at that time, which was a big deal, and we had the golf tournaments. We didn't even have the tennis tournament that is popular now. None of that. All we had was horses and high lion dogs and, you know, the Dolphins and the Strikers. So, yeah, I, I just... I didn't, I didn't see that coming. There was no way. So I, it wasn't that that kept me. I think, you know, part of it was maybe I didn't think I had the money to move. Uh, I certainly wasn't making very much at the time. I mean, one job I lost for making $75 a week, they, they cut me because I was making too much money. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had, though. I, I, I do, because I see that that's the minor leagues in particular are now a, a great path for young broadcasters. If I can broaden out to the, the craft as a whole, uh, you've done radio, you've done TV. What What's, how is it, how do you float between the two of them as a broadcaster as far as what works on both mediums and making sure you're doing the right thing in the right spot and uh, at the right time? The preparation stays the same. I mean, you still want to do the same. Uh, with television, obviously, you've got a thousand tools to work with. I mean, depending on the size of the broadcast and how many cameras and machines you have going for you, some broadcasts, of course, are more sophisticated than others. But, you know, you can rely on, on graphics, you can rely maybe on a sideline reporter to help you tell stories and, and, and to get information. And it's because it's visual, my job on television is to set my analyst up and put that person in a position to, you know, say what he's got to say or what she has to say. And then I'll get back to the nuts and bolts and we'll tell some stories and we'll hopefully get a great game. On radio, what I always envision every time is that there's a guy who just jumped in a car or in a truck, and he's about to drive for three hours. And he's going to listen to this game, but he can't see it. He might as well be blind. And I've got to provide him with every detail. And in radio, you are the boss. 
the analyst has to kowtow to you, whereas, or not kowtow, but analyst has to secede to you, whereas in television, I have to cede to the analyst. I have to make sure. And also in TV, I don't have to talk all the time. You know, I think the, some of the best broadcasting is when you're not talking and you're letting uh, the crowd noise tell the story or letting the director and the producer cut shots together that don't really need you to talk over them. And in radio, you don't have that luxury. Maybe every once in a while you can let the crowd noise, if it's really exciting, take over. But you better jump in there pretty fast. How long did it take you to get comfortable on television? You know, it does take time um, because, you, and especially when you come from a radio background, you're so used to just yammering all the way through, <laughs> and, or or you so you so badly want to follow up on what the analyst just said because it was so interesting to you. And you're ignoring the fact that you guys have been talking for three or four straight minutes, and maybe it's time to give the audience a break. Um, I just think you learn that over time. I don't think there's a particular device. I mean, there are moments that you can kind of sense. Let's say you're at a football game, and it's third down and long, and it's a close game, or maybe there's an upset in the, in the making, and the home team crowd is just losing it. And they're on their feet, and they think this is a chance to get the ball back. And you know, you're sitting on something that's really exciting. If you've already said it's third down and 10 and you see him come out for the play and you can hear that crowd through your headsets, then there's no point in adding anything unless the analyst absolutely has something that he sees is about to happen. Like he sees a blitz or he sees a, 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 an all American wide receiver who's one-on-one against a bad cornerback. Otherwise let it go. And then about maybe a second or two after the snap, you can pick it up. Um, Basketball, same thing. You know, how many times have you seen a basketball game where the home team goes on a run and now they, you know, maybe they're trying to make a comeback and now it's time to get the ball back on defense. Everybody gets up and they're all making all sorts of noise. You don't need to talk. You do not need to talk. And, and if it gets deep in the shot clock, even better because the crowd's going to get louder and then maybe you jump in and say something. Um, there are absolutely times the pictures – must tell the story if you're doing a good job. And even in this era where we have so many people who aren't watching on TV, but are watching on their phones or watching on iPads, you know, on devices that we never thought people would be looking at live TV on, the same rules still apply. How does that change if you get into a situation where if we're doing a midweek Mac football game and there's just not that big a crowd there because it's 30 degrees and it's nine o'clock on right. a Tuesday and it's and it's quiet. I do, I, I do, and sometimes I do it just to. Because every once in a while, I will think to myself, "God, I've been talking a lot." You know, I, I sometimes think that I wish I was almost watching myself, or like those two guys in Sesame Street who sit in the balcony or criticize everything. <laughs> and you say, you know, you know, shut up for a minute. I've heard too much of my own voice, or maybe the two of us would just bah, 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 bah. give the audience fifteen seconds of nothing. And if something happens, and you can draw them in with your voice, your voice is your, is your I don't want to say weapon, but your voice is your tool to get the audience's attention. If I suddenly raise my voice, that should get you back from looking at your phone or looking at your laptop or put you back to looking at your phone and your laptop. And you go, oh, wait a minute, this guy got excited for a second. There's something happening. Uh, yeah, I don't mind doing that, and you're right. Unfortunately, the, 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 the tricky part with the Mac is you do get some poor uh, crowds, but the, the conference loves the TV exposure. But I think that rule applies, and you know right away, hey, this place is going to be dead tonight, you know, but we're just going to let it go every once in a while just to give ourselves and the audience a break. 
You mentioned voice. Uh, how long have you sounded like this, and and how much work has gone um, into it? Believe uh, it or not, at, I mean, I don't know if it was exactly like this, but 13. And uh, that's actually my true beginning of my on-air career, or broadcasting, I guess you could call it, or speaking into a microphone career was my freshman year in high school. Um, I got cut. This is how bad an athlete I was. And I was almost six feet tall. I was 13 years old. And I got cut from the freshman basketball game. That's how bad. And they announced on the PA one day, hey, we need a public address announcer for basketball and um, I think for wrestling and baseball. So I went to the athletic director at 13, and I did have a voice change over the summer. And he said, yeah, sure. The first guy in here, you sound all right to me. And he gave me the greatest advice of all time. It was, this advice is so good that I've never forgotten it. And I, would, and I passed this on to everybody that I ever speak to. And, he, and so we agreed. And I said, okay, well, you know, the first game, I got one thing. My first game was a JV soccer game. I remember that, too. Uh, he said, one more thing. I said, what's that, Mr. Yost? He says, when in doubt, say nothing. I went, okay. I didn't realize that that was the most profound bit of advice I would ever get in broadcasting, and that was when I was 13 years old. And he's right. If you really don't know, don't put yourself in a position where if you say something, you're wrong or sound stupid. Now, we still do it. I do it. But I do try to, to, to go by that. That if I'm really not sure, better to say you don't know or say nothing than potentially make a mistake. If and when you watch your stuff back, uh, what says I had a good call in this game? Uh, if you have, if I'm happy with the accuracy, if I'm happy with some of the touchdown calls, let's say at the football game, uh, if I think, hey, that was good. I'm, I'm, I don't like to listen to myself because like a lot of guys, I tend to not pat myself on the back but kick myself in the butt. And you focus on, uh, I didn't say that name right on that play right there. I knew I, you know, I messed it up. I think I got it right the other 20 times, but that one time I said it wrong. And that's what you remember. Um, but you listen, you know, if, if the by play was good with the analyst, if you laid out at the right time, sometimes I'm happier after myself when I'm not talking, as I said earlier. Uh, then I'll go, okay, that was a pretty good show. And sometimes I've taken off the headsets and I thought, that was good. Even if the game was bad, sometimes you think, you know what, we pulled out everything we could on a 42 to nothing game, and that was a pretty good show. And then there's other games where you, uh, you take off the headset and you go, oh, I don't know about that one. I, you know, and those are the ones I definitely don't watch again because I don't want to confirm that it wasn't a good broadcast. But, yeah, I look for that. I look for a couple of – if I, if I rose up at the right time, if I tried to rise to the level of the game and if I think I succeeded, then I'm happy with that things you maybe have done in your career play-by-play wise that uh, bugged you the most and that you had to work hardest to get rid of? I still hear occasionally that I talk too fast. Almost everybody does in the beginning of their career. How do you slow down? Uh, you, you, have to, you have to work at it. You have to be really conscious of it. Uh, if I went back and listened to stuff I did, like even sports updates I did when I was 20, I probably would you know, find a fire nearby. I live in Florida, so I can't find a fireplace, but I would, if I could find one, I would throw it in there. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I don't want to hear that tape again. That's the biggest issue for me. If somebody's never heard a Dave Lamont game before, what do they get when they sit down and spend a couple hours with you on TV? What I hope is, what my goal is every single time is I want everybody who's watching to know how happy I am I'm there. Because I am. I want that enthusiasm to come through. I want you to have fun. I want you to know that sometimes I might 
crack a joke or two because I'm not a total straight man. And that's what I want people to, to get from me, that I'm, I'm happy to be there. And hopefully you're happy while you're listening. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I do have a couple more quick things for you. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to go back to the voice thing real quick as well because you brought it up again also. But when you talk about manipulating your voice and using it the right way and, and using it as an instrument, how much work has gone into that for you just from, uh, I don't be it vocal work on the side or be it, uh, going into games and just being conscious of how you're driving your voice down or, or, or pulling it back or really letting it fly and, and being able to truly use it as an instrument? I think it's more the, uh, the latter than the former. I don't really practice that. Um, I, it just happens. It, it is, I think it's, for me anyway, it's natural. Now, maybe other people do practice, and everybody has their own ways. But for me, I don't. I, I, I just prefer to have a spontaneous reaction. Uh, when you see a great dunk that you didn't see coming or a great catch that you didn't see coming, that's the stuff that turns you on. That's when your voice naturally rises. I mean, if you're at a bar watching a game and a guy does something incredible, you, you know, you might pop out of your seat a little bit. You might knock your beer over by accident or or French fry out. And, and you know, that's kind of what I'm doing too, minus the fact that I don't have French fries in the food, but (laughs) we would never know you could, I mean, well, you know what? Those days, the drinking days are gone. When I started out, the Dolphins used to serve beer in the press box, but I was young to drink it. Wait, yeah, I wasn't actually, but I didn't. Now you're lucky if you get a you know a water fountain. Um, but it, it's that's natural, and I think that just develops with reps. And you learn, you know, as you develop your identity as a broadcaster, because you don't have one. If I go back now and listen, like to the first basketball game I did. Uh, years and years ago, oh, God, it was probably horrible. I mean, I'm sure it was just bad. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, probably made a thousand different fundamental mistakes because I was learning without anybody telling me what to do. Somebody said, hey, get Lamont, he'll do it. And of course I did it. And it's probably not very good at all. And I probably should, you know, try to dig that thing up and go, all right, class. Here's 50 things to never do when you're the play-by-play guy at a basketball game, and I did every one of them. But I think the voice is just natural. It's who you are. And if you're not that way, then you're going to come out kind of kind of affected. You know, you're going to have one of these guys. And I, I call them pukers. And there are some guys who are sort of natural pukers, but, you know, there's guys who are kind of like this all the time. And then, you know, they pick up their phone later and they order from Papa John's, and it's like, hi, right, can I have a pizza, please? You know, it's not natural. Yeah. So I think it just comes naturally. I think you, the moment dictates. Let's face it. I got really lucky last year with a Hail Mary, the, the Boise State BYU game. Yeah, I'm going to get excited. You didn't know that was coming. It was fourth down and 17, for God's sake. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of excitement, that's, that's, a, that's natural. You can't practice that. You cannot practice that. Maybe I've missed it, uh, and you've already done it. So if I get this wrong, uh, feel free to correct me. But how bad have you lobbied in the next two years to broadcast a Western Michigan basketball game? I haven't. You know, it, the funny thing is, I, um, I, they weren't that good this year, so they didn't make any of the wild card games yeah. in the MAC. Um, and I did a couple of those. Uh, wild card Mac games, and I let it be known to the executive producers up there. Look, I'm kind of familiar with the conference. I can be happy to do the Mac wild card games. Period. I know these teams reasonably well, uh, and I can always get a good scouting report. You know, if I need it, <laughs> and it never it sort of fell through the cracks. 
And I would never want to be in that position. And I've never even talked about it with my son. Um, I wouldn't want to put him in an uncomfortable position. I don't care if I'm in an uncomfortable position. I don't want anything to happen to my kid. So if that were to come up, um, I would love the opportunity, but only if he thought it was okay. And if he said, you know, I don't know about that, Dad, then I would say, no, don't put me on the game. It took, it took me a while. I got another one who may be playing college basketball, too. So, uh, Is he seven year, feet tall also? On, he's 6'8". He's a little short. Um, I mean. But, <laughs> you know, he, we're about to enter his last month of AAU with a period of the coaches, so we'll, we'll see how the offers look. But right now he's more paid league. That's CBS, so I probably wouldn't get a chance to call those at all. <laughs> for, for people that are unaware, by the way, uh, Dave's son is Drake Lamont, who's the, the center at Western Michigan, which plays Ball State a lot, so I see him a bunch. But uh, um, Well, probably power forward this year. Oh, oh well, that's true. You got uh, uh, Dugan's coming back, you know, too, right? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, you got Dugan back, and Tavey left, and Kelly McCormick left. And to be honest with you, Drake is probably going to end up having to face the basket more this year and play the four. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure he'll get some five time as well, but uh, you know, I, I don't know how you know that that's all going to count. But I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if those two end up playing together a lot more this year. Have you learned something from being the father of a college basketball player that maybe you didn't know, having already broadcast college basketball for years? Well, that's a great question. I have to think about that for half a second here. Um, I just a quick story: the night of. Western Michigan football that I was doing in Kalamazoo. Um, I said, well, come on up. You know, I, 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 we won't violate any. I even went to the compliance people. <laughs> to I'm dead serious. I mean, to, to make sure and they had a compliance guy in the press box waiting for him. So there weren't anything out of the ordinary happened. Just come to visit your dad is okay. But he were going to literally run through and out. I mean, that was so little silly things like that you learn that um, I my, in a million years what a booth looks like even remotely close to the possibility of an NCAA violation. And it turns out he was studying and never came to the thing. <laughs> That's one thing I learned. But no, you know, it's still the same. I mean, I think he's taught me his stuff encountered by covering other teams or visiting practices or, or walkthroughs and, and all of that. He's happy with what he's doing. He likes it up there. Uh, I think he's developing you know, as a player and is certainly developing as a person, which is way more important. I'm very proud of him and very proud of what he's turning into as a young man. So all of this has worked out extraordinarily well. Um, yeah, I, I, I haven't learned anything drastic or anything that was overwhelmingly shocking, except some of the little silly things. Uh, and I'll give you a quick example, and you might know this anyway. But with my other my other son now being looked at, um, we can't even when they talk about no contact with parents. If I decided next month, if I go to one of these games, to walk up to a coach who might be recruiting him and say hi, I'm Dave Lamont with ESPN, they would probably faint and run out of the gym <laughs> because you're not supposed to have contact with the parents of an athlete. They're not even supposed to talk to the kids. Have you encountered that at all? Like, I mean, have you had? Have you been uh, yes, doing work yes. and coaches won't talk to you? I won't mention the coach's name because he's in the MAC. But in Drake's recruiting period, it wasn't Coach Hawk. Um, uh, we were getting letters from this one coach, and I recognized him. And I went over to say hello to him, and I thought he was going to shoot me. <laughs> and he looks at me and says, "I can't talk to you." And he just, with a look as if I had 
broken into his house and gotten into his safe and took every dollar he had. And I've since talked to that coach in the Mac and never told him that story. So, and I probably never will, but he was just following the rules. And I understand that I'm not mad at him. I don't hold a grudge. And even though Drake didn't go there, that's nothing to do with it. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's how, that's how dangerous it gets. Um, I might go to, now I can go to coaches who I know are not recruiting the kids and talk if I know them from games, that's okay. You know, there was a couple of coaches the last time that Drake was being recruited when we were out in Vegas and I, I chatted with them and I knew they weren't recruiting him. So there was no problem. Uh, but yeah, well, that's, that's weird. That's very weird. They act as if, you know, they look right through you. If you happen to pass them or you bump into them someplace, yeah, forget about it. You can't talk to them. I'll let you go on this note. Uh, I know Homer Simpson is your avatar on Twitter. Where, where's the affinity for, uh, for Homer Simpson come to play? My role model, uh, you know, <laughs> my, my hero in life. Uh, you know, I've been a fan. Uh, typical for me, I kind of got on the bandwagon a couple of years late. I, mean, I was late with the Beatles, for God's sake. So I was late. I'm late with everything. <laughs> and uh, I just fell in love with the character with the show. And I've been privileged enough to actually attend two uh, cast table reads out of the Fox lot in L.A. Oh, cool. Where the cast sits around with a script and in character, they read the script. So I've actually seen the man in action. That's and, very cool. Uh, it, it is jaw-dropping. The first time you see it, you, you just you can hardly breathe. It's so exciting. And hopefully I'll get another chance, you know, uh, in the next year or two to head out there. It's almost worth just a trip to L.A. alone if you can time it when the cast is out there. Because it's just, a, you know, certain times of the year that they're all out there. But. It's always, you know, I always thought that show was revolutionary. Uh, people, you know, a whole generation probably doesn't think that way now, but a generation ago, it was a revolutionary TV show. And uh, I don't know, it's something about Homer that I find hilarious and very appealing. If people want to find the Homer Simpson picture, uh, how do they follow you on Twitter or follow you? Or uh, Very easy. It's, and, I, and it's at Dave Lamont 1. And I put a number there because when I joined Twitter, I thought you had to have a number. <laughs> and I so it's, it's not like I'm number one or anything like that. It's just Dave Lamont one, uh, capital M, please, and uh, you'll see the Homer Simpson avatar. I've never changed it. I've changed the Facebook. I've changed my Instagram avatar, but now that one's probably going to stay. There. That is Dave Lamont from ESPN, and so many other things too. By the way, you heard him mention uh, he does soccer as well, the NASL, uh, which is kind of like the the second tier of professional soccer in america right below mls but has a lot of franchises that are really really good uh in my neck of the woods fc cincinnati uh is a really good one that are trying to kind of make that push uh up to mls so it's really good soccer uh the indy 11 where i live indianapolis uh teams that try to kind of push the envelope uh so really good league and he I, we didn't talk about it but he does play by play for professional lacrosse uh the florida launch i believe is their name uh, so Dave stays busy. Dave does a lot of things uh, and glad that we could have him on uh, here on play by play cast. Uh, I thought the most interesting thing too, by the way, uh, just take a step back, not the broadcast side of things, but one of the most interesting things we got to, I, I thought was the stuff about his son, Drake and um, his recruitment and uh, how coaches won't even talk to you. Even when he introduces himself as Dave Lamont ESPN coaches sprinting in the other direction because they don't want to uh, tread anywhere near NCAA violations, even though Dave is introducing himself as a, as a media member. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was really intriguing. Um, 
that about wraps it up for us uh, here today, though. So glad you can join us once again for another edition of Play by Play Cast. Uh, if you don't subscribe already, just hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Your phone will let you know when new podcasts download uh, every Friday morning. You can find us here on iTunes or on Stitcher. As always, we appreciate you subscribing and downloading. If you like the podcast, rate us, uh, give us a review. That always helps iTunes uh, let people know that, you know, let them know that people listen and helps make it easier to find and things of that nature uh, as well. And then get in touch with us. You can find me on Twitter at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T, or you can use the hashtag PXPCast. Really good slew of guests coming up. Uh, not that we haven't had great ones already uh, six episodes in, but uh, football season is around the corner. Ball State football training camp opens not this week coming, but the week after that, media day is this week coming. And uh, we're going to have some really really good football guests on so if you're a broadcaster who's gearing up for football season uh we've got a basketball guest next week but you are not going to want to miss the next month or so of play-by-play cast because it's gonna be really really football centric and really really good uh that being said we'll say so long for this week until next week here on play-by-play cast we appreciate your listenership and look forward to uh speaking to you again come next Friday morning. So long for Play by Play Cast. And that will do it from St. Louis where the score is inconclusive.